0: Reading in Ephesians 2 and 6, the theme this year is elevate your life. And we take this from Ephesians 2 and 6. God raised us. Why don't you put it in the first person and say, God raised me? Say that. God raised me up with Christ and seated me with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Elevation is what God designs for you to experience. That's how he's planned your life, for you to experience elevation. But as we've been saying all along in this series, you need to be pragmatic and realistic enough to know that not everybody rejoices with you when good things happen, right? In fact, you may on occasion even meet some who actively oppose that. Well, I hope that doesn't happen to you in the natural realm, but I can tell you in the spiritual it most assuredly will. There is one who seeks to oppose everything that God plans for your life. And for you to experience elevation, you literally must take authority over your own life and look at the old bad boy and say, What you have planned is not going to work. What God has declared over me is what's going to happen in my life. And Jesus demonstrates the need for authority when in Luke 9 and 1 he calls the 12 together and he gives them power and authority, to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. Notice the difference, power and authority. All of us that have received the Holy Spirit have power, Acts 1 and 8, but then authority is a different matter. That's the legitimate right to use the power God has placed inside of us. That's different in this regard, that while God may give you power, the authority to use it, is a different matter and we must develop the maturity to be able to exercise the power he has planted inside of us or given us. I could use this analogy. Every day around the world there are U.S. military personnel, personnel from other militaries, other countries. They've got the power, baby. Oh, they got the power. MP7s, Mark 4, they, they've got the power. question is, do they have the authority to use it? And they have to wait for commands from someone above them that tell them if they have the right to use the power they possess and if the circumstances warrant its use. Well, we're in a war too. Only you don't see it in terms of bombs going off and grenades exploding and... and People dying all around you because of the hostility of an enemy. The war we fight is spiritual. And we too have been given weapons. And we too have a commander. And that commander wants to give us authority to fight on his behalf. And when I talk about spiritual authority, there are different dimensions of authority. I've, in this series, talked about 12. Today, I want to speak about the 10th level of spiritual authority, the 10th dimension out of 12, and I'm turning to this passage in the book of James, James 5, verse thirteen sixteen. 16. Is anyone among you in trouble? Boy, just right there, I, I need to ask a question. Anybody relate to that verse? <laughs> if not today, at some point in your life, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Ask the same question. Anybody here happy today? Then you do what we were doing a while ago. Let them sing songs of praise. That's what James said. And then he says, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, They will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Father, I pray today that you will speak a word right now that will literally bring transformation to the lives of those in this room who hear it. And as we've often prayed... Because your word instructs us that this is where transformation occurs. Let it begin in our own minds. Because we are indeed people who have been raised in a fallen world that is ruled over by the fallen one. And in this world, the principles of this world all lead to death and loss and pain. And that's what we've had programmed into us. The way we live is the result of having been raised in a fallen world. But your word gives us life and gives us hope. Reprogram our thinking to embrace concepts of truth that instead of leading to death, lead to life. And instead of leading to loss, lead to gain. I ask it for your glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I want to speak this morning from the subject, Authority to Heal. Authority to Heal. Does God still heal today? I think so. But it's a question that needs to be asked. And does there still exist today a genuine and real ministry of healing? One that is authentic and one that can be validated by the evidences of people actually receiving physical healing when they're prayed for. Now, you might not ask this question today. And you might not ask it tomorrow. It could even be years before you get around to asking this question. But I promise you, at some point in your life, this, these two questions, does God still heal today? And is there a real and genuine ministry of healing? Those two questions will become significant questions in the course of your life. It might not even be for yourself that you will seek answers to these two questions. But I promise you, you will someday see cancers to them. It may be because of a child, a friend, a mother, dad. It may be because of a husband or a wife, brother or sister. But if you live in this world for very long, there are a couple of things that you need to know. And that is is that 50% of those who die in this nation will lose their lives directly as the result of either heart disease or cancer. That is staggering. Those two diseases alone are responsible for as many deaths as all of the others put together. And you get one of these other scary exotic sicknesses or diseases whose name you can hardly pronounce. That's a terrifying experience. And truth of the matter is is some of these sicknesses doctors can heal and others of them they cannot. What do you do when it comes down to the point that you're faced with a life-threatening disease and you don't know where to go? The sheer numbers of people today who must face cancer, heart disease, diabetes, HIV, sickle cell anemia, and other types of life-threatening illnesses is absolutely staggering. And when I'm talking about healing, I want you to know I'm talking about the real thing. I'm not talking about this hyped up, gimmicky stuff. I mean bona fide healings. We all have heard the the stories of people who who are unscrupulous and they pretend to heal. And I'm talking about in the church, ministries claim they can heal you basically. What they end up doing is getting you to send them a big offering for it's all said and done and I don't think healing can be bought that's not what God's about I think if a person is healed they will be very generous and and their hearts will be filled with gratitude but sometimes we become so desperate we allow our emotions to be played upon and we don't know what to do you hear about the guy this is a joke okay joke all right. the guy with insomnia went to his doctor he couldn't sleep his marriage was in trouble he was about to lose his job He was losing weight, he was haggard, his hair was falling out, he looked old beyond his years, his face was worn, deep dark circles under his eyes, his hands were shaking. The doctor said, you need to see a psychiatrist. The man could not sleep at night. He made an appointment when he saw the psychiatrist, the psychiatrist said, man, you look terrible, what's the problem? And he told him, he said, when I go to bed at night, I realize it's irrational. But he said, every night I go to bed, I have, I'm overcome by this fear that there's something hiding under my bed that's going to do me harm when I go to sleep. And I can't sleep at night for being afraid that if I close my eyes, this thing's going to come out and, and get me. And the doctor said, that's really, really bad. And he said, you know, it, it can have a terrible effect on your life. The man said, tell me, I'm about to lose my marriage. I'm about to lose my job. My health is broken. Can you help me, doctor? And the psychiatrist said, yes, I can. He said, to be honest with you, it's going to take a while. You'll need to come see me twice a week for the next three to five years, but we will work through this. And the man asked, what's it going to cost? And the doctor said, my fees are $150 a session. Psychiatrist Saw the man off, the man said, I'll think about it. Three months later, the psychiatrist is walking down the aisle of a supermarket when he encounters the same gentleman. Only this time the man is robust and strong and healthy. The circles under his eyes, dark circles are gone. He's smiling, he's happy, and he sees the psychiatrist and rushes up and shakes his hand. And the psychiatrist says, aren't you the fellow that came to see me three months ago? Was in such bad shape because... He had some fear. You had a fear that something was underneath your bed and you couldn't sleep at night. And the man pumped his hand up and down and said, yes, I'm the very guy. And the psychiatrist said, how is it that you have changed? You look so healthy and strong. The man said, well, to be honest, doctor, I was right on the verge of setting up an appointment with you on a twice a week basis for the next five years. I was going to get a second mortgage on my home. I had calculated the cost, $150 a session, two sessions a week. That's $300 a week times 52 times five years. That's $78,000. I was so desperate I was going to do it. And I mentioned that to a friend of mine who's a carpenter. He said, I can fix that. And he said, do you know, I gave him $20 and he came and cut the legs off my bed and I've not had any problems since. Amen. There are solutions, and then there are solutions. You understand what I'm saying? And the, not saying the doctor was a fake, but there are some fakes out there. I'm talking about in the, in the church world, there are fakes. There have been investigators that have gone into some of these so-called healing crusades. And while I believe very strongly in healing, as you will see in a few minutes... Investigators have gone in where people have been calling out individuals in the crowd, claiming they didn't know them, calling them by name, giving them their addresses and telling them what their problems were. And they claimed that they were getting this from God. And they have gone in with expensive and sophisticated equipment. And they, they have scanned the, the sound waves and they've actually, radio waves, and they've actually picked up and recorded communication between This guy's front men, either in the lobby or behind the stage, reading prayer requests, and in collaboration with the ushers, you know, finding where the person was seated, and calling that person's name out, and said, "Someone right over here, row four. The Lord tells me your name is Susan. Wait a minute, Susan Smith. You live in you 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 live in Wait a minute, you live in Pearland, Texas, and giving them the address, and you came here tonight because you've been diagnosed with Hodgkins." And this person, of course, goes crazy because they think that God gave that person that, but they've actually gone in and recorded this kind of communication between front men and the speaker on the platform who has implanted a receiver deep inside of his ear, and they call that healing. And when confronted, this is what they say. Well, we were just building faith. We were just building faith. And if it works in the end and builds faith and people believe, does it really matter how we get there? I think it does matter. I really do think it does matter. And there have even been books written about it. And you've seen the exposés. And the tragedy is that when you see that kind of thing exposed, you know what you have a tendency to do? Throw everything out with the bathwater. And say, there is no real genuine ministry of healing Yet anybody that's ever read the Bible knows the Bible is filled with stories of incredible miracles of healing from Genesis to Revelation. It's it's full of it. Does God change? No, he does not. Do we change? Yes, we change in the sense that we need miracles probably today more than we ever have. Because there are all kinds of crazy diseases out there that we didn't even know about years ago. As to giving names, does that really happen? Does God do that? All I can say is one time, right after I came here, I called an evangelist in that I've known of for years. His name is Freddie Clark. Freddie had never preached in Houston, Texas. And this has been 20 plus years ago, maybe now 22, 23 years ago. And when Freddie came in, I picked him up at the airport myself on a Sunday morning. He didn't know anybody here. There was a gentleman that I personally had invited to come to church and he was, that gentleman was working for one of the businessmen in the church. And, of course, he had invited him too. But the man was having serious problems in his marriage and addictive problems. And um, that man was there that morning. Freddie could not have known that. Nobody else in the congregation knew it except me. And those, in those days, I was seated here on the platform. When Freddie was walking down through the aisle and walked over, there was an elderly lady sitting right over here just about uh, right here, where Brother Randolph is in 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 the aisle, the center aisle, and he and his wife, and and right next to her was this guy. Let's call him Bill Davis. And Freddie walks over and looks at the lady, and to be honest, she was a little old and getting senile. And he asked her the question, "Ma'am, do you know anybody named Davis?" And she said, "No." And Bill is listening to that, and he's seated right next to her, and the lady says, "No." And Freddie says, the Lord tells me you're very close to someone named Davis that you need to be praying for. And she just kind of shrugged. And Freddie went on, a few minutes later, came back the second time and said, Ma'am, are you sure you don't know anybody named Davis? And she said, no, I don't. And he said, well, the Lord is really telling me that you need to be interceding for someone named Davis because you're very close to someone named Davis. And she's this close and doesn't know it. And he walked away and came back the third time and said... Ma'am, are you absolutely certain that you don't know anyone named Davis? And she actually got a little testy with him. And she said, I've already told you twice, I don't know anybody named Davis. And Freddie was completely unperturbed, and he just stopped and looked around the area and said, is there anybody in this seating area named Davis? And I'm telling you, that man's hand was trembling when he raised it. He raised his hand, and Freddie said, sir, if you don't mind, would you please stand up? And the man stood up and he said, The Lord wants to do something for you today. And he said, I want to ask you a question. Does the name Bill Davis mean anything to you? And he called that man's first and last name. And when he did, I thought the man was absolutely going to pass out right there in the middle of the pews. That man pushed his way out into the aisle and ran to the altar. Now you say, why would God do such a thing? It was because that man was in such a desperate state that God wanted to know him or to tell him and let him know, I know who you are and I know what you're walking through. Amen. 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 Nobody else here may know you, but I do. Now look, that's real. As for healing, does healing still work? I can tell you that I've seen miracles that I can't explain. And I would love to take credit for them as anybody would. I've shared with you, I once flew to India. Of course, I'm there, you know, several times a year sometimes. And, but I flew to India, flew into Mumbai, took a Air India jet and started hopping from city to city, milk run all down the coast until we landed in Vishakhapatnam, which is in the state of Andhra Pradesh. And one of my sons that I'm connected to in ministry there, Jameson Matthew, he is there in ministry and they have several hundred churches that are under them and I was dead tired it took me two days to get there and when I finally arrived I wanted to go to the hotel I'm thinking at last I can go get some sleep I couldn't sleep on the plane because it's too noisy and little bitty seats and you know all that kind of thing and and when I landed Jameson said you got 30 minutes to go change and we're going to preach somewhere it's about a four and a half hour drive and I wanted to go are you crazy I wanted to bless him in Jesus' name, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Did I say bless him or did I say bless him out? But just trust me when I tell you I wasn't real happy. But I'm a trooper, and so I went and I got dressed, but I'm grumbling under my breath the whole time, drop my suitcase, get in his SUV, and we start out over what was a road, and it stops being a road, and we start making our own road in one of these places, and we go to a village where the gospel has never been preached before. And there's 7,000 to 8,000 people there that night. And my eyes are so red, they look like a bloodshot road map of the state of Georgia. I mean, just veins popping out, red rimmed. I'm tired. To be honest, I didn't care if all of India was lost at that minute. I wish I could tell you I was the man of God, full of power for the hour. Heart of compassion. No, it wasn't me, not at that moment you know next day i could have been but not right then and i'm on autopilot when i stand up and i preach and while i'm preaching there are this these cries and screams that break out in this crowd and it's a small forming community like i said 7 or 8000 people that's all that lived there everybody was there that night and this kept happening while i preached my sermon and i preached one of the shortest sermons i've ever preached got done i'm soaking wet because it's hot outside And I give the altar call, and everybody in the village comes forward for prayer. And people receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and it is supernatural. And they start bringing people up to testify. And I'm thinking, Jameson, I'm tired. What's going on? I'm thinking there's a four and a half hour drive back over a non existent road. And Jameson is bringing these people forward. And he starts telling me, This is the noise that you heard back over there, and over there, and here. There was a man that was standing there, just the man was, he, he was white headed. He was an old Indian farmer. And this man, 12 years before, had been injured in a farming accident, and for 12 years had walked like this and could not straighten his back. And while I was preaching, his back snapped, and he just suddenly stood up, and that was him screaming in the back over there. Because he had suddenly received a miracle of healing. A blind man, his eyes suddenly popped open. Nobody prayed for him. Just while I was preaching, his eyes popped open. A deaf lady received her healing. She went crazy and began to scream in this crazy kind of way that deaf people can, where they talk through their nose. And she was saying, because they've not been able to hear before, they've not been taught how to intonate the way we have. They can't hear it and get feedback like we can to correct what their speech. And she's screaming. I, I can hear in this, this way that's so nasal. And it was, it was amazing. The village demoniac was instantly set free from demonic spirits. There were 17 outstanding and incredible and notable miracles that occurred that night that they recorded, along with God only knows how many other healings that took place. Could I take credit for it? no. Uh-uh. My heart, <laughs> my heart didn't belong in San Francisco. It belonged in a bed back in Vyschatniki Patnam. That's where it belonged. That's why I left my heart. And so my my point is simply this: what happened that night had to be real to me, because there was nobody that could have set all of that up. I have personally experienced healing. I, you know, had you know that I've had twenty four surgeries. Twelve years ago, the doctor said I would be medically retired because I could not live through the pain. Yet I'll preach four times this Sunday morning, get back on a plane and fly to Africa tomorrow. Just came in from Africa yesterday. You say, how do you do that? I can't attribute that to anyone else other than God. Amen. Amen. Anyone else other than God. Amen. And listen, watch this. This is one of the men in our church. Brother Pedro, are you in this service this morning? Just, I'm I'm looking, I can't tell. If he's not, yeah, yeah, here he is. Brother Pedro, just run up here real fast if you would. This is Brother Pedro Zamora. I want you to see him, his lovely wife. Just stand in the back if you would, please, Sister Zamora. This is the stepfather of Domingo Palorte. This is one of the sweetest men you will ever meet in your life. Also one of the most dapper looking fellows you'll ever meet in, in your life. He's incredible. Thank you, sir. I apologize if I embarrass you by bringing you up. Here, about 12 or 14 months ago, he had a challenge. Let me just put this up on the screen. This is Domingo, his son, that is, that is speaking, because his brother Pedro's a little uncomfortable sometimes talking in English before a crowd, though he can speak English very well. Just listen to this. Uh, About a year and two months
1: ago, uh, my stepfather began to notice a small growth in the lower part of his back, and that began to uh, further grow until it became almost a golf ball type size. At that time, uh, he went to the doctor, immediately they ordered a a CAT scan, and once the results of the CAT scan came in, the family, uh, we all went in together, and really it was the worst news that we could hear. Uh, The doctor said that the actual growth was just an extension of a very large tumor that my stepfather had adjacent to his liver that actually encompassed about 70 to 75 percent of his liver had actually taken roots inside the liver and to him uh, with over 35 years of medical experience uh, he detected that this was uh, a very aggressive type of a sarcoma and in his opinion it probably was uh, not operable at that point and the oncologist uh, looking at the images uh, was also in agreement that this seemed like an aggressive type of sarcoma. Uh, he felt there might be one or two surgeons in the medical community that could actually take, uh, do the surgery, but it said it was a very invasive surgery that would require removing about three quarters of his liver uh, and part of the lungs, which actually it had spread by that point. At this time, the, the medical doctors, or the oncologist rather, ordered Uh, PET scan to further get uh, imaging on how they could proceed with the surgery. Uh, The PET scan came back and it actually showed a more accelerated growth. Uh, Within a couple of weeks, uh, the tumor had now expanded even at a greater uh, velocity and proportion. During this process, uh, Pastor Hurd uh, prayed over him in in the hallway with with tears and just a a great uh, intercession uh, as he does. Uh, We also visited another church with uh, several pastors and apostles, prayed over him, and also one of his uh, insurance clients, just a normal lady, uh, not an evangelist or pastor, she prayed over him and said the Lord had showed her a vision of uh, a tumor that was actually shrinking and said that uh, for him to keep believing because she felt in her heart that this was going to be to the glory of God, and also to astound the medical community. Uh, A third imaging, uh, CAT scan was ordered uh, to do another biopsy uh, before the surgery. Uh, And this was being done live with the radiologist. And as he was doing this with the uh, original CAT scan and the PET scan in hand, he could see how the tumor had grown within just a couple of weeks. Uh, But what he was actually seeing live was not what was on paper. He actually saw just a a fraction, just a small dot of what was uh, a huge tumor. And so he couldn't believe what he was seeing or thought maybe there was a mistake in the paperwork. Uh, Called the surgeon in, and after the dust settled and and all the exams came in, uh, Dr. Carney, very well known here in the east side of Houston, uh, sat with my parents in his office with all three examinations, the original CAT scan, the PET scan, and the final CAT scan. And all he could say three times out of his mouth was, this is a miracle, it's a miracle, it's a miracle. Hallelujah. He actually called his family doctor up, uh, Dr. Damas, which he knows and works with, and, and said, Doctor, um, this, in all my experience, is probably the largest sarcoma that I've ever seen, and it is a miracle. Hallelujah. So we praise God and thank God.
0: Can you give him some praise today? Without surgery, that thing disappeared. What happened? What happened? What happened? Does God still heal today? I say, yes, He does. We in the church have authority to heal. You see... And very quickly, let me go through this. Jesus not only came to save man from sin, he came to save man from the consequences of sin. 1 John 3 and 8. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? Listen to what the Amplified Bible says. The reason the Son of God was made manifest or visible was to undo, destroy, loosen, dissolve the works the devil has done. When did sin enter the world? Sin entered the world when man failed and was deceived by the serpent in the garden. What came about as a result of sin? It was death. And what is sickness? It's one of the manifestations of death. It's your body dying it's your body succumbing to one of the negative forces in the world created as a result of our ancestral forebearers adam and eve having brought sin into the world when jesus came many people mistakenly believe that he only came to rectify the lostness of our soul's relationship with god That may do you fine until one day the doctor uses the big C word. Or one day you get a report that you have an incurable disease. Then all of a sudden you're wanting to know, did maybe Jesus do something more than just make it okay so I can go to heaven? And I want to tell you that when he came to this earth, there were stripes placed upon his back. Those stripes upon His back were placed there for your healing of, and the healing of your physical body. Amen. Isaiah 53, 4 through 5. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his say it by his stripes we are healed we are healed someone can be healed in this service right now amen amen why don't we see more miracles of healing than we do There are a number of reasons for that. One is is that some say that that verse in Isaiah only refers to healing in the sense by his stripes were healed. It only refers to healing of our relationship that was broken with God. Here's the problem. We must not base our theology on our lack of experience. You know, you look around, see what's happening, then draw a, a theological conclusion from that. No. It could be that if we're living beneath what God has for us, that by drawing a theological conclusion based upon our lack of experience, that we're robbing not only ourselves but others of what God intends for them to have and for us to have. And here's what you need to know. Every serious Hebrew scholar that reads Isaiah 53, by his stripes we are healed, will tell you clearly that that is referring to physical healing of disease. Hear what I'm talking about today. You say, well, why don't we see it? Number one, we've been taught that it's not even really available. Number two, to be very honest with you, with a multitude of doctors we have around us, who needs to believe God anymore? And we don't develop little faith for little things. We go to the doctor for the little things. And then when the big things come, we don't know how to deal with them. So what am I telling you? Stop going to doctors? No. Some of the finest, most dedicated people in the world are physicians and nurses and those that work in the medical industry. And that God uses them too, just like he can use other things to bring about healing. But what we have done is we've trusted solely on them and stopped carrying our needs to God. And so not only have we accepted a theology that is not accurate, And it's based upon the absence of experience rather than on what the scripture teaches is available. But we've also stopped pursuing healing. Amen. Now, if you go to some of the places I am at in Africa where they don't have access to medical treatment or to India, sometimes you're forced to pray. Amen. Can somebody in the building say hallelujah? hallelujah? Another reason that some people say that God doesn't heal today and one reason we don't See, healing is because somehow or another people have come to now believe that healing was to be used within an evangelistic context to prove and validate the claims of Christ as being the Messiah. That in the first century when Jesus appeared, there were so many lost people who had never heard of him, never heard the gospel, that they needed evidence to show that he really was who he said he was. And they say that we don't need that anymore. And when they say that, I look at him and I want to ask, have you ever been out of this country? Because it's so arrogant for you to say that. When Jesus was alive, there were only 250 million people in the whole world. The whole world. Less than live in the United States right now. And the whole world. Today there are over 7 billion people and half of them have never heard the gospel preached. If they needed it in the first century with 250 million then I've got a question. Hear me. There are now 14 times as many who have never heard the gospel. Then it would seem to me the need is greater for this than, rather than being less. You hear what I'm talking about today? I personally believe that, that healing was never meant to just be an instrument of evangelism. I could have drawn that conclusion after being in India. God knows I was tired. I wanted to sleep. My heart wasn't in the message that night, but yet God healed all those people anyway. I could have walked away and said, hmm, there must be something to this that in these third world countries with with poor medical facilities, if they have any at all, and there were none in that area, maybe, maybe that God's compassion is so great that within the context of evangelism, he heals to show them that he really is God. I could have concluded that, but when I look at it again, it just doesn't add up. I'm glad God moved, and I know the people that were healed that night are glad, but here's what I've decided. If healing is for us today, then we should be able to personally experience it and see more healing in the church. Amen. Amen. I'm here to throw open the doors and say that you can bring the sick to Christian tabernacle. I believe that Jesus still heals today. Amen. Why don't we see more miracles? I tell you what, I believe. I think we have the power, but we gave away our authority. Amen. And so, how do we get it back? First thing you must do is ask. James 2, or 4, rather, verse 2 you do not have because you do not ask. We stopped asking. We get sick, we make an appointment with the doctor. Keep on making appointments with the doctor. Don't misunderstand. But what I'm saying is also know how to go to God in prayer. Amen. Amen. And then if you don't get healed right away, don't allow that to affect your faith and say, I'm not going to be doing this anymore. Won't be praying for healing anymore. No. Listen to what Jude said in Jude 1 and 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. You've got to contend. Listen to what the message said. Dear friends, I've dropped everything to write you about this life of salvation that we have in common. I have to write insisting begging that you fight with everything you have in you for this faith entrusted to us as a gift to guard and to cherish what do you got to do you got to fight for your healing you've got to contend for it you've got to say i will not be denied hello somebody the greek word contend means to struggle You know what that means? you got to keep on believing even when you wake up the next morning after having been prayed for and you feel worse than yesterday. You have to still say, God, you are my healer. Amen. And really, I'm not talking to novices here today in terms of your Christian faith. You're not infants in God. Some of you are very, very mature believers and you've served the Lord for many years And look, you know this, in every aspect of your spiritual life, you have to contend for what God has promised you. Why? Because of what I began by saying earlier, there's someone opposing you. And you have to take authority over him and say, what you want is not what's going to happen. It's what God said that's going to take place in my life. You've got to contend for your finances. You've got to contend for your marriage. Hello, you've got to contend for your children. You've got to contend for your anointing. You've got to contend for your ministry. Why not in healing also? Amen. Yet many pray once and give up. 1 Timothy 6 and 12, fight the good fight of faith. faith. Lay hold on eternal life. What do you do? Tell somebody, fight the good fight. Amen. You know what a good fight is? It's when you don't quit. Did you see fight night last night, UFC, anybody? Amen. You didn't? Okay, pray for me. Amen. I did, and I enjoyed it. Amen. Travis Brown faced this guy that's a monster out of Amsterdam. And this guy, the odds were something like 188 to 1. It's what I saw on the bottom of the screen. And this guy was tearing Travis Brown apart. I'm talking about heavyweights, big guys. Tearing him apart, but Travis Brown refused to quit. And you know what happened? All of a sudden, out of nowhere, this other guy is getting confident now. Man, he's cocky, and he's coming in. He's going he's to take Travis out. And Travis snaps a front kick and catches him right under the jaw and knocks the guy out. And you know what Travis said? They, they panned the camera across the ring. This guy's laying on his back, and Travis is saying, heart, baby, heart, I didn't give up. That's what you got to do. you got to have heart. You can't give up. Do you know what I'm talking about? Fight the good fight of faith. Keep on believing God. Amen. Why well, contend the enemy is fighting against your healing? Why would he do that? And I'm really already done. There are two reasons the enemy fights your healing. Number one, he truly is evil. He truly is evil. There's nothing he delights in more than to see your pain and your suffering. He wants you to be sick. He fights your healing just because he gets off on seeing you suffer. But there's a second reason. Nothing so clearly demonstrates god's existence and power to others as when god steps out of eternity to heal somebody the doctors cannot help that makes even the skeptics wonder what's going on you say well why does it take so long i prayed nothing happened let me tell you everything about serving god is a journey you hear what i'm saying everything is a journey You didn't get saved and automatically become the best saint in Houston, Texas. And when you were broke and disgusted and couldn't be trusted and you asked God to help your finances, you didn't have a million dollars in the bank the next day. It was a journey. Your marriage is going through a journey and your healing may be a journey also. Just don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. Miracles are instantaneous, but healings can sometimes take a while. They can be a process. Even Jesus once prayed for a man twice before the man's eyes were made completely clear. So I conclude by asking you, will we at CT see overnight success with everyone and every sickness we pray for being instantly healed? We could, but probably it won't happen quite that way. We will probably need to grow and develop and strengthen our faith in healing just like we have in every other area of our relationship with God. But just because we have to grow it and develop it, does that mean we shouldn't try? No. We're going to start just like we had to grow our strength for finances. Just like we had to grow our faith for anointing. Just like we had to grow our faith for our marriages to be strong. We need to grow our faith that when people walk in here, God heals and they walk out saying, I don't know what happened. I went to that church and and I, I was told there is no God, but I can tell you there is one because I got healed. And there's no way to explain what happened to me other than that. We can't quit. It's a journey. But I have to tell you as a pastor, we must contend for the faith once delivered for the saints. We need a breakthrough over cancer in this city. We need a breakthrough over heart disease. We need a breakthrough over sickle cell anemia. We need a breakthrough over HIV. Stand with me across the building and I'm done. Don't blame God for your illness. In fact... That's just the first of four things. You say, if I want to be healed, tell me what I need to do and equally important, what I should not do. Four things you should not do. Don't blame God for your sickness. How many times have I seen people say, if God really loved us, would he have taken my baby with cancer? God didn't take your baby. Don't blame God for what the enemy did. Secondly, Do not stop taking medication until your doctor tells you you no longer need it. If you think you get healed, keep on taking your medication and let the doctor tell you it's not necessary anymore. Because people in an emotional moment have claimed healing and thrown medication away and hurt the cause of faith and healing in the church because it turned out they were not healed at all and Some of them suffered because they gave their medication away. Number three, this is what not to do. Don't give up if you aren't healed right away. And number four, don't change your beliefs about healing if someone you love is never healed. If you bury somebody and you were praying for them to be healed of a disease that they die from, when you stand at their grave, Don't blame God. You stand at their grave and say, Lord, I know you're still a healer. You say what Job said. You say, though the skin worms devour this flesh, yet in my flesh I shall see God.